Welcome to another episode of The Bandage Podcast, a weekly wrap-up of the most trending healthcare news. Each week, join me and my co-host, Alex Ross, as we'll discuss the latest in healthcare, health IT, and compliance. In this week's episode, we discuss genetic analysis of prostate cancer, the fear of not using your phone, and screening for abdominal aortic aneurysms. Let's wrap things up. This is episode 67 for the week of January 11th. I'm Matt Moneypenny. And I'm Alex Ross. Before we get started, our diagnosis code of the week is X31.XXXA. Exposure to excessive natural cold initial encounter. Right. So I won't share with you the story of how I got locked in a freezer. Good, because uh, I don't want to hear it. I oh. will instead share with you the story uh, where this this did actually happen to me. Um, if you've ever owned a dog, you know that there's those mm-hmm. random occasions where, uh, you think that they're out to get you and they probably yeah. are, they're probably mad about something. And so I went outside to tend to the garden or something. I don't even remember why, but I turn around and I see my dog standing right in the doorway, wagging his tail at me. And then he jumps up and closes the door. And of course it's locked. Mm-hmm. Because why wouldn't it be? Uh, so now I'm locked out of my house. And wouldn't you know it, it's the only day of the year that it gets below zero. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it was, it, I think he had this planned. I I think that he knew it was going to be very cold. Or, or maybe after his his morning business, he knew it was very cold. And so he's like, ha today's the day. Yes. He's waited for the opportunity to strike. Luckily, I am okay. Um, but none of my fingers are, I, I no longer have fingers. Oh, yes. wow. That email I sent to you earlier, I dictated verbally. <laughs> I'm kidding. I still have all my fingers, but they're That's still good. cold. I was really worried for a second. <laughs> I know you go through a lot every year. I guess the real question is if I did type it out verbally, is it still called a typo? I don't know. It's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I really had to think about that one. Anyway, then let's get right into the news. First up, we have knowing all the new risks. Scientists led the largest, most diverse genetic analysis ever conducted for prostate cancer and possibly for any other cancer to date. The study's authors identified 86 new genetic variations that increased risk for prostate cancer that were not previously discovered. This brings the total number of risk low key to 269. Researchers found that men of African ancestry inherit twice the risk compared to men of European ancestry. And men of Asian ancestry inherit about three quarters the risk of their white counterparts. This research is a step toward applying precision medicine to early detection. The long-term objective is to develop a genetic risk score that can be used to determine a man's risk of developing prostate cancer. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I would want to know my genetic risk score. Yeah, I don't think so either because I'd be like, okay, well, if it's high, I'm like, well, I'm going to be worried the rest of my life. (laughs) Right. And then it could be like that thing where you pretty much convince yourself that you have an ailment and then your body ends up acting like it has the ailment kind of thing, you know? I I just don't want to live my life like, oh, I might get cancer next week. Yeah, that would be bad. That doesn't sound fun. But in a in a dystopian future, it would be good for the healthcare companies to know that because then they can start sending you text messages, hey, being like, "Hey, 
your risk score is this. Maybe you'll come in tomorrow uh, I mean, and we'll or, check or you out. If we're going with dystopian, they go, ooh, your risk score is this. We're not going to insure you against mm-hmm. that. Yes, and they'll be like, okay, give me your money, and then that's <laughs> it. Right. They'll just send you a, a document, and you won't even read it, and it has excluded all the conditions that you're genetically predisposed for. And uh, they make record profits. Whoa. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) That is scary. Hopefully that doesn't happen. But cancer research, I mean, we've talked about it before. And it's really encouraging to see all of the the good stuff that comes out of it every now and again. A lot of times, I mean, they're just constantly researching stuff. So anytime something comes out, it's very encouraging most of the time. Right. Right. And, And men... Um, if you have been making excuses, especially regarding the pandemic, on why you can't go get your prostate screening that you need, here's your sign. Yes, you exactly. should go get it. Uh, yep. Because prostate cancer is is very difficult and very challenging, but it's also one of those ones that that you have to detect early. Um, yes. And, and start fighting. So here's your sign. If you've been putting it off for the last year because. Uh, voluntary procedures and whatnot were were slowed down or you just didn't want to, which is probably likely. <laughs> Let's admit it. <laughs> Here's your sign. <laughs> uh, get it done. Yep, get it done. Next up, nomo phones to get rid of nomophobia. Researchers have been investigating nomophobia, the fear of being without your mobile phone. The condition can prove dangerous for health and well-being. The study polled almost 3,000 participants on their usage habits and their psychological attachment to their phones. 99.2% of respondents reported some degree of the condition. Researchers observed that the greater level of nomophobia, the more likely a person was to engage in dangerous or illegal behavior. 43% of participants spent more than three hours a day using their phones, and high usage was directly linked to the high risk for problematic dependency, prohibited use, and dangerous use. People experiencing nomophobia were 10 times more likely to use their phone in a prohibited space and 14 times more likely to use it in dangerous ways such as while driving. That's kind of an interesting name. I don't it's always interesting how they come up with the phobia names. I want to know how they do it because it's always like perfect every time. Right. <laughs> it's I, it's always me, like I the would, opposite. It, it's like a direct relation to FOMO phobia, the, the fear yes. of missing out. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that leads to this nomophobia. Now, the question I have, especially regarding the statistics that we've been thrown here, right, yes. is that yeah. they're saying that a person with a greater level of nomophobia is more likely to be engaging in dangerous or illegal behavior. I wonder mm-hmm. if they have those backwards, right? What if the reason they're in fear of not having their phone is because they are doing illegal things on their phone. True, true. Right? Think, it could be that way. It. Your local drug dealer would probably be really concerned if he couldn't find his phone. That's true. That's true. <laughs> They're like, I wonder if they uh, if they kept that that uh, group in the in the actual focus group where they were like, okay, we need to separate out the drug dealers. So we really, really, really need to make sure that we screen these people. That they're not doing illegal stuff already in their right. law-abiding system. Yeah, and, and Otherwise, throw out this whole entire study, it's biased. Right, and maybe not just <laughs> legally challenging, 
you know, maybe even the morally challenging side. You know, you're not more likely to do it because you have a fear of losing your phone. You, you do it, you have a fear of losing your phone because you are, you know, talking with people that your wife doesn't feel comfortable with, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or mm-hmm. even worse, you know, engaging in some kind of extramarital affair. Yes. And that's why you are uh, afraid of putting your phone down. Now, I, I feel like that is limited generationally, though. Because yeah, I agree. The younger generation, I'm talking like 25 and younger, have grown up in this world where they always have access to their phone. Mm-hmm. And it's not so much that they are... And, and in this case, I, I'll say that it probably is that they fear not having their phone and therefore they do dangerous things like texting and driving. Yes. I, I think that's fair. Um, I wonder if there's a way that they can they can extract those who can't drive yet and see, I wonder what they would classify as dangerous activity without their phone or with their phone. That would be interesting to see. Now for me, my kids are not going to have a phone until they turn 12 years old. (laughs) I didn't have a phone until I was 13. (laughs) I'm a little bit nicer than my dad. It was a phone. It was a dumb phone, not a smartphone. Exactly. It was good enough that if they needed to call for help or, heck, if you wanted to call your friends to coordinate your schedules, that's fine, too. But yeah, now we just sound like old, cranky millennials. <laughs> well, well, clearly this, this study is the beginning of multiple studies to come, most likely. Right? It's, it's such a new concept. Yeah. And that was probably more the purpose of it than anything else, to see if there was some sort of correlation and now they're going to jump into the causation piece i will say though it sounds kind of like a concerned mother who is also a psychologist was like let's research <laughs> why my kid is always on his phone yeah that's, that's true sounds yeah like. so she'll uh she'll start punishing her kids based on the study probably <laughs> hope not next up aaa needs a new screening protocol A study found around 55,000 patients undergoing repair for abdominal aortic aneurysm, or AAA, suggests that current screening guidelines may be inadequate. Ruptured AAAs were responsible for almost 10,000 deaths in 2017 and represent a 15 leading cause of death in the United States. Screening can lead to elective AAA repair, which has a far lower mortality than ruptured AAA. Patients within groups suggested for screening still have to meet certain guidelines. Of those who didn't meet the screening criteria, ruptured AAA was twice as prevalent as those who did meet the criteria. The findings suggest an investigation into expanding the scope of current screening protocols. AAA, not to be confused with ABC or BBB or CCC or a combination of the, all of those. I was just about to say, this segment is not sponsored by AAA. <laughs> And with that, let's move on to our first commercial sponsor, AAA. (laughs) You're in your car Um, now. You're listening to this podcast. You got to get where you're going. If anything should happen, this podcast will keep playing, but your car may not start keep running. You need to get AAA so that you can get on your way. AAA. (laughs) AAA. Not to be confused with abdominal aortic aneurysm. So, um, yeah, I don't really have that much to say about this this particular story because I'm not that familiar with 
AAA or abdominal aortic aneurysm, um, as you heard me say it about 15 times. So uh, it's interesting to see that they're finding all these correlations um, and that, I mean, it's a big deal because it's the 15th leading cause of death in the United States. So, Wow, really? That Okay, I guess you did say that, but... <laughs> <laughs> I've never Someone wasn't listening. <laughs> I've never heard of this before. And to hear that it's the 15th leading cause of death in the U.S. Well, if it's not the top 10, then why even focus on it, Alex? Exactly. Right. Uh, that's what the media says, man. It's only Hello. tens of thousands of people. Yeah, right. It's not a big deal. When I think of aneurysms, I, I think of brains specifically. I, I guess I never considered that they could happen other places because you have blood vessels other places. So that right. makes sense. Right. And obviously could be very dangerous, especially if you don't know that this has happened. Um, because I'm assuming that it's not the kind of thing that you're like, whoa, I felt that. Right. It's like, hmm, I feel funny. Yeah. Right. And with that, let's get into our next segment. B-R-E-A-C-H. Breach Patrol. It's a breach! All of the latest cybersecurity breaches. Welcome to Breach Patrol. We talk about the latest breaches all across the world. First up, we have... Making new annual traditions. U.S. telecommunications provider T-Mobile disclosed a security breach last week, its fourth data breach in the past three years. Its cybersecurity team discovered and shut down malicious, unauthorized access to some account information. An investigation found that hackers access customer details, such as phone numbers, the number of lines subscribed to an account, and in some cases, call-related information. Only 0.2% of the company's user base was impacted, but that's still around 200,000 users. Because of the small number of affected customers and the less sensitive nature of exposed data, the breach doesn't appear as bad as some of the company's past breaches. I tell you, you could set your clocks by it. It's time to start seeds for your garden. T-Mobile has their breach. <laughs> Can you imagine being such a big company that 0.2% of your user base is 200,000 users? Right. It's only 200,000. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Wow. That's only like four football stadiums. We have breaches that we talk about where it's like a massive security breach and it's only like 16,000 people. Yeah. So, like, it's, just it's like just it's getting downplayed a little bit. <laughs> it's getting with that statistic alone is getting downplayed a little bit, and it's like, in some cases, some of the stuff we talked about is considered a huge breach because it takes over the whole company, but the company doesn't even serve a hundred thousand clients. Whoa! Wow. Wow. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, if you're a T-Mobile user, make sure you. Uh, you know, maybe reach out to them and be like, hey, um, did I get breached, perhaps? And they'll be like, no, but here's some uh, identity protection for you. And if they do that, eh, it's probably not a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> Next up now, pensions loses trust from customers. Now pensions, the third biggest master trust in the UK, suffered a data breach in December. One of its service partners unintentionally posted members' personal data on a public software form. The provider warned affected members that their names, addresses, birth dates, email addresses, and national insurance numbers were posted. The breach affected less than 2% of its 1.8 million 
members. There's no evidence that any member's data is being used by unauthorized third parties. The consumer action law firm, your lawyer, said that affected members could be eligible to claim for compensation. Again, less than 2% of 1.8 million users. Let's just go ahead and do the calculations. Um, yeah. Let's see I'm trying here. to do it too right now. I'm calculating. 1. This is live right here. Uh, 36,000 people. <laughs> Which, I mean, that's not even nowhere close to 200. Well, yeah, they did, so they big. did <laughs> mobile numbers, but they yeah. certainly... <laughs> I mean, there's I mean, still it's... a ton of people. Yes. This is a big hack week, I guess. Big I'm hack week. I'm head to the next story. It doesn't look like we have a number of how many, so... It's a big week for breaches that are big, that are downplayed. Next up, Indigo Away hackers. India's airline Indigo said that some of its internal documents may have been compromised by hackers. It was able to restore its systems in a short time span with minimal impact but some segments of data servers were breached. There's a possibility that some internal documents will get uploaded by hackers on public websites and platforms. The company said they realize the seriousness of the issues, and they're engaging with relevant experts to ensure that the incident gets investigated in detail. Indigo didn't provide details of the kind of data that was compromised. This is not to be confused with the famous color indigo in the rainbow uh, you know, it goes red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet, um, common misconception. So do they, do you think that this was just not a serious breach and so they're not worried about it or that it was very serious and they're trying to not tell anyone? I think it's, I mean, call me a, uh, a skeptic, but I think it's the latter of what you said. I think a lot of times, really, I mean, obviously, if it's an airline, it's a massive company. And for whatever reason, airline companies are just, like, sketchy. Like, I don't think I've ever met, I've never, I've never experienced an airline that's, like, really for the customer. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think they care at all. So, I think they're, they're trying to cover themselves, they'll cover up their tracks a little bit here. Hopefully, this isn't the kind of thing that's going to be affecting uh, your average user of these airplanes right because that's one of those areas where security is is something we need to maintain yeah right. very well and that's it for this week's wrap-up of your weekly healthcare news i'm alex rock and i'm matt moneypenny and we'll see you next week thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the bandage this week's episode was written and produced by e-tactics e-tactics is a leading revenue cycle solutions organization committed to providing innovative, web-based solutions that improve our clients' cash management and customer relationships. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.